If blockchain is all about keeping accurate data records, my guest this week is onto something. He's an Australian ecologist who's offering his clients a better service with Bitcoin SV. He's the co-founder of Predict Ecology, Daniel Keane. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for doing CoinGeek Conversations today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Daniel, you're the co-founder of a business called Predict Ecology, but your background is in the mining industry in Australia. That's correct. And I must say, I don't normally associate mining industry with ecology, but I'm sure there are important links there. Mm. Oh, most certainly. Um, Mining industry has uh, an impact on the surrounding ecosystems that they operate. So there's a direct uh, requirement to rehabilitate and repair that ecosystem after the mining has uh, ceased. And so what did your job consist of in relation to that? Um, So I'm a botanist, uh, more specifically, um, and I like plants. So oftentimes I was validating and uh, assessing the rehabilitation that they'd planted back, um, comparing it to the reference ecosystems that they were trying to achieve. So you were, were you sort of acting as a kind of inspector to make sure that things had been done that they'd promised to do? Or? Yeah, in, 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 in a sort. Um, botany is, uh, is one of those uh, skills that uh, not a lot of people um, have. Uh, so as a result, you know, uh, being able to name the plants and being able to then record them faithfully um, yeah, it was in, in quite, a, quite a demand, so that, that was one of, right. was so one you of were, my core businesses. You were really on the ground doing detailed observations and recordings and yes. lots uh, of fresh air. <laughs> uh, yeah, lots of fresh air, lots of sunburn, uh, lots of getting stung by things and, and being bitten. Uh, I can remember one occasion where I was sunburnt through my T-shirt, uh, through my work shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, right. a lot of sweating. So now we're here in Dubai at the Bitcoin SV convention. And I think the link between Bitcoin SV and the, the work and, that you were describing is through this company called Metastream, which is also an Australian uh, business. Is that, how, does that, how did that work? Um, well, it was a happy accident, to be honest. Uh, Paul, uh, the founder of Metastream. Paul Chiari. Paul Chiari, yeah. Uh, we actually live in a, in, on the Atherton Tablelands uh, in Far North Queensland. Um, and some years ago, I think it was about 2015, we, um, we went to a startup weekend and we collaborated on that topic and we found a lot of shared value. Um, uh, he got then involved in, in Weather SV, which then morphed into uh, Metastream. And he and I have often shared uh, our desires to record um, valuable information or, or information that we see valuable about our world around us in an immutable way um, and a way that is verifiable. Um, yeah, and it's born from there. So we have a good working relationship. Yeah, I, I interviewed Paul definitely probably a couple of years ago, and he was describing the work of, of uh, the sort of way in using Internet of Things to uh, monitor plants and things for farmers. But So what a, what's the difference between his project and predict ecology which sounds like what is predict ecology going to be doing so predict ecology does uh still does a lot of on-ground field work uh, i still get out and fall over and get sunburnt and be bitten by things and invariably get wet um, so i do a lot of uh botany 
um, not all of my data uh, gets put onto chain. Um, however, a lot of the data that my clients are now starting to look at, I'm subtly encouraging them to, um, to, to put in an immutable way. So the main differences between uh, Paul and myself is I collect it, um, and Paul has the plumbing and the tool sets. Right. So you're not you're not specifically working for mining businesses now, or is that part of your work? That's part of the work that but I. But people come to you and they say, "Please do an audit of the ecology around this site, or something like yep. that." And then, if you want to go down the route of uh, the blockchain and working with uh, with MetaStream, can you tell me a little bit more detail about how that works and what comes out of it? Um. <clears throat> It's actually really quite easy. Uh, I'll go and get a uh, re request to uh, audit something or to survey a site. Um, in Australia, you have to be a suitably qualified individual. Uh, you have to make a statutory declaration that what you see and what you record, you record faithfully. Um, those clients who are interested in, um, in uh, permanent solutions like blockchain, um, I integrate with... Uh, MetaStream via an application that I've built. So I have mobile data collectors uh, that I use for all of my clients. Um, and there's a functionality in there to uh, take that data and write it to MetaStream and it then so gets So the processed. very moment that you've actually noted something down, it's it's going on the blockchain, is it? Or um, it's, it's not so much in, in real term. Oftentimes I'm working in areas where there just isn't any internet reception. Right. Um, the middle of nowhere is... Right, but you collect a day's stuff a or day's whatever. A day's survey, yeah. And then what happens to it? Well, when I come back out of the, um, out of the paddock and into, a, uh, into reception, uh, that then gets loaded to my cloud server and I've got a... Uh, Paul has access to it and he then processes it for me and plugs it on the blockchain. Right. Or a version thereof, depending upon what the client wants. Right. And then, so from the client's point of view, what is their sort of view of this, of this process and what they get out of it at the other end? Um, what do so they have to do to see the results? Uh, they have to do very little. Um, it's primarily around uh, that verification and that auditing. So I've gone out and I've done a survey for you. Um, I've then written a report and provided you with data. Um, you want to check that the data I've collected, it hasn't been altered in between me sending it to you. Like I didn't come back into the office and go, ooh, I made a mistake. I'm just going to quickly correct that and hope no one notices it. Uh, I then give you a Merkle route. Uh, with that Merkle route that's published on the blockchain, you can access with uh, uh, the Merkle hash tree uh, every single point that I've collected right down to an individual track log point. And how is that displayed? Because I imagine the, the average client that you're working with is not going to be particularly um, enlightened if you say, here's a Merkle route, have a look. Well, it's, um, it's actually quite uh, simple. Um, so they have a, a string, uh, the Merkle route. Um, it essentially gets plugged in, out spits a, a table, Red, yellow, or red, green, red, green, red, green. Uh, those red ones I've altered. Uh, those green ones haven't been. Right. Uh, so it, it reassembles the data as a, an easy-to-read spreadsheet. 
it, it re reassembles a representation of it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. And and presumably then also they can see that this was uploaded on a certain date at a certain time. Yep. And therefore, if they're only looking, if they only get your report a week later, they they know that it existed at yeah. that point. Yeah. And so, just from a sort of rather dispassionate point of view. How useful is this? I mean, it's a nice sort of techie thing to have, but beyond that, how how important is it, would you say, this process? Well, I'll offer you a hypothetical or a thought experiment. If you went out and you did a project, let's say <clears throat> a development, um, and five years down, you went through, you did your, your audit, your survey, and five years down the track, um, Somebody comes to you and goes, you killed such and such. Now, how do you demonstrate that A, you didn't, um, B, the individual who collected it uh, knew what they were doing, and C, like where is the auditability there? Now, you might have lost the report that I've produced. You might have sold the project to somebody else. Um, I might have gone out of business. I might have had a server fire. I might have lost my notepad. Uh, there's a whole heap of variables there. Um, so that peace of mind for that long-term check, uh, that's where it really comes into play. But I might have lost the Merkel root. Um, the Merkel root will still be there. Uh, you know, presumably someone's recorded it somewhere. Yeah, I mm. guess somewhere that would be their responsibility to just hang yeah. on to that, wouldn't if, it? If you lost the keys to your house, you would probably try and either get them recut or refine them. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But it's not foolproof, is it? I mean, something could um, go wrong like that as well. Things can always go wrong, but then, again, you know, redundancies. Mm. So uh, a development is, is a low-risk example here. Uh, take, for example, you're a mine site that might be operating for 50 years. Um, what happened 50 years ago? Um, that is, is valuable corporate knowledge, and if you can store a Merkle root, as opposed to storing reams and reams of potentially terabytes of petabytes of data, um, I'd much prefer to do that. Yes, because it's not costing you anything in storage. Very little, or, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And do you see this, uh, I mean, you obviously have got a good a grasp of the technology behind this. I have a grasp. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would say it sounds like a pretty good grasp, but Thinking about the work you're doing using this technology, do you feel that it's, it's an example of something that could be applied in much in many different fields, much much more widely uh, mm. than in this specific area that is obviously useful in? Exactly, uh, it can certainly be applied far more widely. Um, what sort of thing? Well, it's the crown that I pulled out of the box, so it's what I'm currently using to draw with. Um, off the top of my head, you could suggest possibly safety data, you know, safety audits of uh, mine sites or roadworks or people building a building, um, building certifications, uh, you know, construction records. Um, yeah, the, the mind boggles. It, it, it could be a whole heap of things. Aircraft maintenance, for example. You know, when was that aircraft last maintained and, and what, what actually was done with it? So it's sort of important and complicated data that needs to be verified as having existed in a certain form at a certain time, basically. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, Were you actually there? Did you actually find what you said you found? Yeah. Mm. And do you think that, therefore, obviously this is going to produce work for a business like Metastream that provides kind of the front end, I would guess. Would you, would you put it like that, that they, that they are the kind of customer's view of this process? Or, or is it, should the customer think of themselves as interacting directly with the blockchain? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think it might have either been Craig or, or Jimmy who referred to uh, blockchain and the tools that are being developed on it as plumbing. Um, I see Metastream and, and myself in part as being uh, the plumbers. When you turn on a tap, you don't really know the intricacies of where that water is coming from, but you're appreciative that the water is coming out into your glass, it's nice and clean, and it smells good and it's cold. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily um, say that they're directly interacting with the blockchain. I mean, they can if, if they're so inclined. But yeah, I, I think we're the, we're, we're the plumbers and they turn the faucet on and off. I mean, it's interesting because from a sort of strategy point of view, on the one hand, you don't want Metastream or some company to be the, the, the middleman because that company might not exist in the future and then perhaps you haven't got access. But then on the other hand, if they make it very user-friendly then that's a good thing. Somehow there needs to be a balance between the security Mm. and the longevity of access and the ease of access, I guess. Well, there's a a point there that I'd like to make. Um, Companies, uh, while they're championed by individuals and and project proponents, um, a company is something that's, that's larger than any single individual. So I'm confident that if a company is uh, successful and, and valuable in a commercial sense, because ultimately that's, that's what companies work for, um, the company will persist after the proponents uh, move on or, or whatnot. But it's interesting, if you look at 100 years ago, mm-hmm. most of those companies don't exist, even the most successful of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be canal building companies or something. Yep. <clears throat> There's quite a turnover. I mean, it's obvi- I, yep. I completely take the point. It's not, mm. it's not the individual necessarily mm-hmm. who keeps the company going. But on a somewhat longer time scale, mm-hmm. companies don't last forever, really. Um, no, but the blockchain will. Well, exactly. So th- therefore, perhaps, you know, this may look complicated, this string of numbers, but this is the in thing you need to hang on time. to. Yeah, but in 100 years' time, you'll still have that string of numbers. Yes. It will still be written to the blockchain, the worm, the yeah. write once, read many. There will still be methods, uh, presumably probably far more refined methods, um, of interfacing with, with the blockchain, and it will still be readable. It will still be there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you, you said that your customers... Uh, may or may not want to use blockchain. When you have those discussions with them, how, how do they go and do you persuade them? And what are the things that might uh, push them in one direction or another? Uh, the conversations typically go, uh, this data is important. You know, you're collecting it. Um, you're paying probably a premium for it. Um, it's being collected in a way that you want to be able to use uh, and use forever. Oftentimes, uh, consultancies uh, house that data for themselves and only provide um, the report, the finished product to the client. 
uh, I have a mantra of, I collected this, you own this, here's the lot. Um, so I then attempt to value add. Uh, I then attempt to go, right, here's a way of storing it or representing it um, in an immutable fashion. Uh, so on the back end of mine sites, I've worked, or on the back end of their process, I've worked a fair bit in closure. Um, so that's the reclamation, rebuilding When phase. the mine is completely When the finished. mine's closed and yeah. the mounds get re-contoured and everything's replanted. So the first part of any closure um, exercise is to find out and to document what has happened. Oftentimes that, most oftentimes, that involves me sifting through 50 million emails, uh, 50,000 uh, Excel spreadsheets with the same names and the same data with you know, maybe one or two little things that were changed, um, duplicates and duplicates and triplicates uh, because it's just been dumped haphazardly. So that's my uh, point of pain that I try and uh, impress on, on my clients to utilize this auditing and storage representation. Because you're saying to them, do this now, and then in the future, some poor person won't have to do all this stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. Be kind to future client X. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, a sitch in time, I suppose, is, is a... And are you, do you also have to tell them, it will cost you a little bit more, but it's going to be worth it in the long run? Oh, yes, you've got to be transparent. But, it, really but it does cost more. It does, yeah. yeah substantially. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Right, right. Do you think, and, and how, so how do those arguments, how do those uh, discussions go? Um, I've had uh, to date um, two uh, clients who are uh, interested and who have um, uh, embarked on processes. Uh, most of them uh, go, yep, we're not quite ready for this new emerging technology. Um, a lot of the players are, they, they move slow. They're behemoths. Right. Um, a great example is uh, it was only this year that they migrated from Windows 7. And, uh, yeah, I know, like, where Microsoft is trying to push Windows 11 down your throat already. Um, so it gives you an idea of, of the length of time that these processes need to work. So what I do is I, uh, even if they don't want it, I still provide them with all the data. Um, I create uh, internally... Um, I create a SHA representation of the data, uh, give them the file, record that in the, in the reports. Um, they are then able to have that SHA and that file and re, you know, digest that, uh, that file when mine closure comes and verify that, yes, that is the Excel or Word doc or shapefile or whatever file type that I was referring to in this report. Um, so I'm sort of, slowly introducing them to these, uh, these subjects in, in any instance. Just to get down to real basics here, if I'm your client mm -hmm. and you say, here's the Merkle route, this is all you need to access all the data, um, and I, I might go, well, help, what am I going to do with this long string of numbers and letters? I have no idea how this works. What would I actually do with that Merkle route? Copy, paste. Paste um, where? Uh, into uh, an app API front end um, that will then take your data set that I've provided you, the raw data, um, calculate its, its, uh, its, its Merkle tree, um, and then are the routes the same, yes or no? But 
when you say an API front end? Uh, a web page. Right. So I don't need to really understand what I'm doing. I just do steps one, two, and three, and suddenly it'll spit out what I'm looking for. Pretty well, yeah. So coming to this whole Bitcoin SV conference here in Dubai, what, what are your feelings about the whole tech community that it represents? It's exciting. It's, um, it's really wonderful to see the diversity of uh, people and um, ideas that are coming out attached uh, to, to this blockchain technology. Um, you know, being a biological scientist, I'm, I'm aware that uh, if you don't have a diverse system, then the system's fragile. Uh, and to see the level of diversity here um, reassures me that it's quite robust. Right. So this is interesting because people in Bitcoin SV and probably lots of other tech things, they love talking about uh, the ecosystem. But yeah, you okay. can talk about ecosystems in a completely different and much better informed way. <laughs> You're saying that this ecosystem genuinely reminds you of ecosystems that you would expect to succeed in the natural world. Uh, they have a solid foundation and there's some really good primary producers. So really good green things, some plants. Um, I'm yet to see the herbivores, but I'm <laughs> sure that they will exist. Yeah. <laughs> and the carnivores. Um, I, I don't know how many sharks there are, but there's probably some sharks in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for, for talking to me today and really good luck with Predict Ecology. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks very much to Daniel Keane. Next week, I'll be getting the inside track on Air Ventures from its managing director, Paul Rajgod. So if you're an entrepreneur hoping to interest investors, you can find out what Calvin Air's VC business is looking for. Please join Paul and me next week. Till then, from me, Charles Miller, thanks for listening and goodbye.